Okay, welcome everybody. We're here with uh, Vin Janowski and Carl, and we're on episode number 98 this week. 98, for real? Wow. Yeah, it means I have two weeks to figure out what we're going to do for our 100th uh, one. It might have to be, you know, like a normal class or something, God forbid. Greatest piping moments of the last 100 years. How about that? That's ambitious. If you can throw something <laughs> together uh, about that, then I'm happy. Um, so, uh, yeah, let's see. Free reads for all signed-in members. <laughs> We're going to need to take some donations. 100 reads to give away. 100 random drone reads giveaway. That's right. We could give away 100 <laughs> dead reads, like, that you <laughs> You could feel free to uh, you could feel free to try to resurrect them. Here you go. That could work. All right, Sam's happy right. with that. <laughs> <sighs> That's weird. I, the, the resurrecting old drone reads is not something I've tried. Um, it's something I've. It's actually on my list of things to try. Like take old, worn out synthetic reads and rebuild them from the ground up. You know, new tongues, new. Bands. It's a dicey prospect, but I think it could work because the materials are all there, you know. So it's a matter of putting it together the right way. I have question. I have. I question the question the success rate that you're going to have there, I think, but I don't know. I think it could work. If, I mean, a lot of a lot of the person that make, could do it. Make, then it's, yeah, 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 that's right. I think I think the a lot of some some reads actually sell replacement tongues, and they sort of let you have it, you know. Without any guidance whatsoever, it seems it's just sort of here's a tongue, put it, replace yeah. it, put it on. Knock yourself out. <laughs> yeah. Well, come on, it's not that's not true. Both Selby and Shepard include detailed directions with it. So okay. the only one that doesn't is Canard, and it's really straightforward. <laughs> it is. I think, and I think the one of the things about these reeds is that they're very simply made. You know, there's just the construction is just very basic, and it's the basic ones that. Or seem to perform the best, you know. Um, it's just a matter of making sure that everything's in the right place. Yeah, Ian says, aren't synthetic reeds made out of stuff that will outlast us? He's just saying. Yeah, it's true, but it does wear out. It's a lot of that stuff does wear out, particularly the fiberglass tongues on some of these reeds that do definitely wear out. So, I don't know. They'll be around for a while. They might not work as well as you want them to, but they're certainly going to be on the earth <laughs> much longer than we are. Something about airtight seasoning, I think, when you get it all over your synthetic reeds, uh, <laughs> something about that decreases the lifespan of a reed. I don't know what it is. Exactly. Yeah, it doesn't matter what it's made out of at that point. Yeah. Mine are actually made out of intelligent nanoparticles that know exactly how to stay in tune. There you go. What is that? That's that's the latest. That's the latest carbon technology, isn't it? Isn't this like sort of these, these nanotubes that are to, that fit together and to become a super rigid, super hard material, but also very very light. I think that's that's yeah. the latest thing that's out there. Yeah. If you um, if anyone out there wants to send me ten thousand uh, bucks cold hard cash through the mail, uh, I will send them. Uh, actually, we better make it a hundred thousand because I'm going to have to go on the run. But I, yes, I will send you my nano intelligent <laughs> self tuning reeds. Self tuning little nanobots in there. Yes. Mm -hmm. So go ahead. I'll uh, later in the class I'll give you the address to send that in. 
Um, Some self-regulating vibration enhanced yeah, I actually, anyone who's heard me play knows that I actually detune my pipes a little bit on purpose <laughs> so that no one figures out just how amazing my reads are. So, uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, All right. Well, on that note, uh, today I thought, because Vin is back, Vin is back now for a couple of weeks. I thought we would uh, give him a little bit of time to shine. Uh, ooh, and we're even going to switch the videos around. Yes. Uh, we're going to give some Vin some time to shine and give us uh, a little bit of a tour through Pipe Hacker world and tell us what yes. Pipe Hacker is and and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, for anyone who has I not just visited. To point out, I don't think I've ever seen Vin in the same spot to do his show. It's always in a different spot. Background is always in room a little bit, actually. Yeah, <laughs> sort of move things around, and now the desk is in a different place. So it's better than when you did it out on the patio. That was kind of a mess. <laughs> I know the connection doesn't work out there. I think I'm going to run something out there, though. It's irresistible to go out there and work sometimes. But anyway. Um, so yeah, Vin, tell us about the uh, Pipe Hacker website. So yeah, for anyone who has not visited PipeHacker.com, uh, it's just sort of my blog that's been out there for I don't know, gosh. This would be like three years now. Um, sort of born out of this idea that um, pipers are sort of an enterprising, sort of independent lot that sort of solve their own problems. And, and I know I have over the years sort of come up with homegrown solutions to various problems uh, that plague the instrument. And I know that's sort of a long-lived tradition for pipers. You know, I think we've always been left to ourselves uh, over the last century or two to figure out our own you know, things to get the instrument working right. You know, it's not like, uh, you know, there's been sort of the equivalent of luthiers sitting around sort of fixing guitars and violins or fixing bagpipes. I mean, maybe you can take your pipes to a pipe maker once upon a time and you do something. But when it comes to the reeds and the bag and all this other stuff you got going on, you have to sort of come up with your own solution. Um, so it's sort of born out of that ideal, that sort of ethic of sort of hacking systems and making them work, uh, you know, for your purposes, you know, and them to your will, as I guess you want to say, a lot like a computer hacker would do the same thing to a to a computer system. Um, so yeah, I mean, I mean, one of, the, one of the coolest things ever. If everyone's ever been to the bag, the, the uh, piping center, the bagpipe museum at the piping center, they have uh, the uh, the Ian Dahl chanter on display, and that thing is like banded, and there's like layers of wax in the holes, and there's like you know, some material wrapped around different parts of it and things like, I mean, and this is all like, basically, how old is that channer? It's, got, it's going on several hundred years, right? Um, you know, it's, it's like this is a piper who had to fix his own stuff, <laughs> you know. He had to figure out how to make it sound the way he wanted it to sound and, and had to come up with his own solutions, you know. And, and so this is Pipe Hacker is sort of that modern equivalent, you know, coming up with decent solutions to uh, DIY your way through bagpipes, you know. So and that's and that's the story there. Um, plus, it's fun to, to come up with your own solutions, you know, to like make it work the way you want it to work, not rely on, you know, the invention of someone else to sort of figure out, you know. Um, have you ever met a have you ever met a successful piper that didn't have to hack their way through something and innovate something in order to become successful? I don't think I, don't I, think I have. I have. I don't think I have. There's always some. There's always a solution that someone has come up that works for them, and they just they just make it work, you know. Um, 
no matter what that is. You know, and I think and you go back to all the greatest pipers of the day, you know, back a gener- couple generations, and they all had their own, like, wacky thing that they had that gave them their sound or, you know, controlled moisture or some bizarre thing, you know. And it, it slowly they, that stuff makes its way out into the world, right? It's like it eats its way, you know, somebody tells somebody else and somebody tells somebody else, and next thing you know, you have a group of people doing that, you know. And that, then it becomes like a standard method after a while. Um, totally. There are some hacks that have become so, you know, there are some hacks that are so common now you would never, you would never really pause to think about the fact that at some point somebody thought of this. One yeah. of them that comes to mind is the lifeline on the drones, you know, like the little dangling yeah, yeah. string of hemp exactly. that, you, that you wedge between your drone and the stock exactly. to keep your drone reed from falling in the bag. Like at some point, some clever piper was like, I can hack my way out of this. This is how we're going to solve this problem. Yeah. Right, um, and then later, like that problem again. Yeah, and we we don't even do that anymore. We just thread our drone reed seats right. now. And some at some point, somebody had to have the huevos to uh, say, "All right, exactly. I'm just going to take this thread to my pipes." Exactly. I, I can't remember the first time I actually heard about that. I'm trying to think. It has to be like the '80s. I heard I heard about people threading their drone seats. You know, and. It's not something. You, you, in the minute you, you know, somebody suggests that to you once upon a time, you're like, you're, you're like, what? No, I would never do that. Why would you? Do, like, are you going to do it? Like, yeah, spine. it would just like ruin everything, yeah. right? But uh, now everybody does it, you know. So uh, it's, I, it's, and it wasn't like a common thing. Like, you know, people didn't really do it. You, you said you had the, you had the sort of the stones to do it. You know, you made everybody do it in your band or something. And, and then now it's just come, now like there's some pipes that come like that, right? There's some some makers are actually doing that, and actually there's small thread on the inside of the drone seat. So yeah, um, there you go. I had another hack. I forgot what it was. Um, oh, the compression hemping is another one. Yeah, that's that's the one. Definitely, yeah, definitely. I, I I definitely come from from a uh, the school of just like wrapping the crap out of this everything and just like sticking it in, you know. <laughs> like yep. there's like no there's no uh, technique or anything. You just keep wrapping and keep waxing and then you're good, you know. But you you know that you know how well that lasts, right? Until you realize you know you do need to sort of do a better job. Um, and I, I think you know I I would think that that kind of stuff sort of trickles in from Scotland and the better players sort of figure that out or are told that by some you know some old judge somewhere who like, you know, passes on the secret, you know, and that, and that, and that's been a tradition as well. Right. And that's, and that's what one of the things I think pipe hacker is what I want is to, I think we, we all benefit when we're all sharing that kind of ideas, those kinds of ideas. Right. And it's that kind of stuff just goes out there and you need it out in the world so it can be tested and used and, and, uh, and cut and let loose, you know, you know, it's like, it's always, you know, one of these things like you always hear these stories about these old band guys or these old solos who, you know, or old teachers who want to, you know, fix your read and they'll take the read and then they turn around, go into a corner and do something and then they bring it back and put it in and then it works great, you know, and, then, and, and they'll never tell you what they did. You know, you just have to sort of accept what, what they did and, and hope it works. <laughs> you, know? you never question it, you know, and, uh, and it's only until now, I think recently with the, with the Internet and everything else, I think people want to know and they should know, you know, all that stuff should be out there. So. Yeah, so then um, send, uh, why don't you grab a link to your uh, one of the hacks on your website, like one of your favorite hacks, and so we can go visit that page and then walk us through verbally, like, your process because okay. you are the pipe hacker. You know, we, need, we want insight into like. your process. I think the, the most recent one 
Look at the most recent one, and then one that very, seems very popular. Uh, this one, which is the most recent one. Which All is, right, everybody, so go ahead and click on that link. The Rehack Survival Pack. And then there's also this one, which is let's, very popular and also like surprisingly this easy. Don't put the next link up yet. Let's start with this one. And then I don't want people to go to the wrong link accidentally. Uh, yeah. Start by the Reed Hack Survival Pack. Reed Hack Survival Pack. That is essentially all the tools you'll need <laughs> to do anything you need to read. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of, I don't know, you know where I came, I came up with the site. There's a lot of different projects out there in the, on the Internet that uh, sort of um, put things in Altoid tins. You know, whether it's like a, a mini charger for your phone for that extra boost of juice, you know, or like, you know, little toolkits for various, like mainly for like electronics guys, you know, because they're always needing those materials on hand and they need to be portable, you know, for repairs and stuff like that. So uh, the Altoid tin becomes the repository for all kinds of stuff, you know, just little like like weird, you know, Arduino type things and little music makers and stuff like that. So I, I, that was the idea, really. And it sort of stems from this lead case project that's up also up there on Pipepacker if you want to look for it. Um, and it's just all the stuff you need to, you know, work or read. You know, it's, it's really just the things you need. What do you need? A sharp blade. Uh, you need maybe, uh, an, you know, a mandrel um, and maybe some hemp, you know. Uh, and that's really it. So how do you do that? Miniaturize it all. How do you miniaturize it all? Um, let's, let's cut the X-Acto handle to the size we need it, um, and which I think is actually a brilliant stroke of genius, is making the mandrel out of a screw that fits the same thread of the X-Acto handle. And it's a standard, I think, uh, 3 eighths, not 3 eighths, uh, 1024, I think, this thread. It's on the side. Um, so you just buy a screw, wow. cut off a head, and then grind it to the size you need. You know, so you need a, you need tools. You'll need a Dremel with a grinding blade and a file, metal file, uh, and things like that. So um, you just keep at it until, and, and, you know, if you're using a brass one, which is I used here on the site, I used a brass screw, um, you just keep at it until you come up with something that's the right size and the right thickness. Um, and it turns out it's, it's actually the, the, the 1024 bolt is the right diameter as long as you get the threads off. It's the perfect size to put into a reed, and then you just flatten it out and make it usable, you know, as a mandrel. And it's, this, this version actually is really good. It's actually, I've actually now, I've, it's my, the only mandrel I use now. It's, and it worked perfectly. It's really easy to control the pressure on the inside of the reed when you put it in there and you can really sort of make finer adjustments. You don't have to like, some, some mandrels you actually really have to like give it something to like make something work. Um, this one seems to be the right size. We just have to like tweak it a little bit, you know, so I would highly recommend everyone going out and making one for, their, for themselves. Uh, McCass is a wood or machine thread. It's a machine threaded screw. I think it's just a standard, you know, threaded screw. It's 1024 screw. It's not a wood screw. So it's a, a standard machine screw. Um, and it's, it, it seems to, that's, that's the same, same thread as the X-Acto blade. So it's, when you take out the little bushing, you know, the little um, chuck from the X-Acto knife, the blade uh, handle, you know, the screw is 1024 screw thread. So it's just, there you go. Um, so that's that. And it's perfect. So, so that, uh, is not, that is now so my pipe reads, case. 
<laughs> miniature reed thing. What does it have in it? So it's got the exacto knife. It's got yep. the exacto knife. And it's got exacto knife, which is cut to the same, you know, to the length that it will fit in there. And but yep. the handle also doubles as the handle for the mandrel. So the mandrel is already in there. And then you just sort of replace. You just screw out the chuck, put the mandrel in, use the mandrel, uh, and I've sort of tacked on a magnet on the inside of the case so the blade and whatever can sort of stay there without disappearing or falling away or something. So a handy little thing. Yep. And then I've also wrapped some hemp around a screw, another screw, and just sort of stuck it in there because you always need some hemp. Right? That's so emergency hemp. Yep. Here you go, emergency hemp. Glue a little sponge insert, cut some slots, and it's everything stays in place, you know. That's pretty cool, and you've actually put this to the test, I assume. I have. I have. It's in my case, and I use it all the time now. <laughs> it's actually pretty pretty fun. The mandrel, definitely. Case, if you have to leave your pipe case, you can put that in your sporin and just have it. Absolutely. Just have it with you all the time. Yep. Um, Sold, man. Usually, yeah. It's definitely true. It's, uh, it, and, it's, and, it's, and it's field tested, <laughs> too. Field so, tested, mother approved. Field tested. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's one of these things where you have to have the nerve, right? You, once you've practiced sort of messing around with reeds, you have to have the nerve to be able to just at any given moment, you know, take that mandrel out and give it a poke, <laughs> you know, and not right, worry about cool. it. So what's our next one that you were going to post? Yeah, well, that's it. Just don't, don't try to go through TSA with it. Yeah, well, definitely not. <laughs> Everything that's in my pipe case usually goes in my suitcase, except the instrument, and then the su- instrument goes on the plane, you know. That's the way I travel. Because everything in there is like will be confiscated. There's nothing in there that will uh, make it through security. So the other one, let's see. This one is this one seems very popular these days. It's it's very and and for for what it is, it's not even really so much a hack as it is just sort of a you know a DIY solution to the things that are that the things that are out there right now. Um, let's go here. And this is the uh, Piper's Perfect Pressure Gauge, right? And this is actually, for all the things that are out there right now, we have all kinds of commercial solutions for this, for the manometer, right? You want to come up with sort of mechanical alternatives. You need a gauge, and there's a couple of gauges out there that sort of hook to your blowpipe. There's one I've seen. There's um, another one that sort of has this kind of setup where it has just sort of a cork that goes into your drone. Um, and this is essentially the same thing, except I use a sphygmo manometer, which is a mercury, measures inch, uh, millimeters of mercury from an old blood pressure cuff, which I found on eBay for like $5. <laughs> and uh, it's a, a very easy thing to do. You know, if you could find one of those things, one of the old standard kind, you know, the old kinds with the, the rubber tubing on them, you could use the rubber tubing um, and then just buy a standard brass connector, hose connector, um, and, and, and put, put that inside a cork, you know, a rubber stopper with a hole in it, um, and you've got yourself a, a manometer alternative um, in which you can check for, you know, your steady blowing steadiness maybe or diagnose leak problems, which is really the reason why I made it. I was having issues with my old set of pipes, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. I felt like I was losing air, but I wasn't sure, and I, I literally made that to solve the problem <laughs> and uh you know it discovered i did i was losing air in various just a little bit you know as steady as you think you can blow it still like was wavering and um and uh, and, and so it helped me diagnose my problem then it went searching high and low for all in all parts of the instrument to find what it was 
uh, it ends up being the uh, drone cap on two of my drones, believe it or not. So there you go. But um, as a as a tool, you know, I would use a typical manometer for it's it works. You know, it works. Um, I, I've since altered this this design um, and extended it with typical surgical tubing and a smaller stopper uh, that goes into the top of my one of my tenor drones, which is a easier sort of uh, way of diagnosing your blowing and sort of watching your steadiness and things like that. So, um, yeah. That's, and that's a popular one, and that seems to get a lot of traffic all the time, even even still. This is, a, now, how old is this? Uh, I posted that. Uh, I reposted it in January, but I think I posted it before that. Um, so it's been getting, like, quite a bit of traffic. So, yeah. Um, yet another hack, it's, which cost me, I think, totally, with eBay shipping, it was I think it was five with shipping, actually. And the stopper, which I had, connector was, like, a dollar 25 or something like that in Home Depot and uh, the surgical tubing which I eventually bought from Amazon for like five dollars or something for like 10 feet I don't know it was ridiculously cheap <laughs> but um there you go oh look John's already put up one there you go <laughs> and the conversion is pretty easy you know it's a pretty simple equation to convert to inches of water if that's really what you care about I didn't I don't really care so much you just want to make sure that the thing is, uh, the needle is steady, right? When you're blowing, it doesn't matter. Um, it's, if you want a sort of a traditional approach, if you want to have a range where, you know, you want to have the upper end of your reads limit marked and the lower end, sort of the choke point, um, you're going to have to come up with that distance on the, on the gauge. So convert that to inches of water. Um, so you know exactly where, where you need to be, you know. Ten gauges for 17 bucks? Oh, there we go. Here's a deal. Some of the newer ones don't really work that well. Some of the, I've seen this. They're they're sort of connected, you know, to the to the whole unit. They're not separate like the older kind. Um, this is this was the kind that has the old stethoscope on the end. So I've got that hanging around, um, where they, you know the doctor would just put it on your arm and and listen and uh, and uh, would uh, you know blow it with that with that gauge. But um, you know some of them have a they're like a contained unit. Which doesn't work as well. You have to sort of hack your way through that. I think. Um, you did the whole band on those, so everybody had a gauge. Oh my gosh! <laughs> there you go. How did you how did you hold up the uh, the gauge? The gauge sort of hangs loose, but it has this handy clip on the back. So I just sort of stick it on my music stand. Everybody wow, have like instant. a. Instant bagpipe tone for 17 bucks. Amazing. There you go. <laughs> That's totally true. And a whole band outfitted with instant tone. There you go. I've always, That's I've cool. always been, um, I've always been, I've always sort of chuckled at that because, yeah, that 17 bucks that you spend on manometers, especially if you like can objectively clearly look at it, you know, you could spend $1,700 to have a weekend workshop. And your band would not improve even one fraction of the amount. Exactly. You would improve if you implemented a manometer regimen in the band. Right, for $70. There you go. Yeah. And everyone's after. <laughs> That's funny. Did you guys use them as a band, like, during a, a practice? Or did you guys always, was that sort of individual homework that everyone had to do? That's I'm curious. Just homework, yeah. That's cool. That's cool. That's it. There's there's your 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 non-standard issue band equipment, right? 
<laughs> speak momentometers. We did that at Oren Moore one year. Were you there that year? Uh, I don't think so. I think I came just after that. When you did that. But I had one. Yeah. I, I we had a year where we were hog wild with it. <laughs> Which, uh... Yeah. That's like individual work, you know. I, I've, I've found, like, using them in a band environment gets pretty, I don't know, it's distracting. You know, but uh, at home, that's definitely where you need to sort of focus on that. But, um... But yeah, that's it's an easy solution for anyone willing to sort of go out and just mess around. Um, you know, and that's that's one of these sort of non-standard things. It's not you don't necessarily need it to play bagpipes, but it certainly helps you be better. But one of the things that you do need, I think, let's see if I can find it now, is a water trap. Even if you've got, even if you've got. Um, Moisture control systems in your in your bag. Um, the water trap is something that probably could it just adds that little extra sort of moisture capture that um, will make everything work the way it's supposed to work. So even if you've got sort of granules in there or some sort of system that's not connected to your blowpipe, um, you know you, you, the water trap, some sort of water trap is 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 definitely a plus. I think. Because um, it catches everything before it goes into the bag, and you know the maintenance is really minimal, if, if anything at best. So this one is typically this is basically all any water trap really is. It's just silicone tubing with some openings at the end, and it attaches to your blow stick or your blow pipe stock. So this this one in particular, you definitely need to have access to the bag. So zipper bags are preferred with this approach, but um, this uses an elbow. Uh, PVC elbow connector with the uh, sort of, I guess, ridges ground off or filed off. It's just plastic, so filing works just as well. Um, and in the, in the, the ridges are left on the other end, which so when you slip the tubing on, it stays there. And the thing's just a standard PVC cap on the end. And I drilled some holes. A lot of people cut openings uh, in their DIY water traps. Um, I, I drilled holes to make it perforated, which I think gives lens a better airflow and doesn't. It's less likely to uh, allow moisture to dump out into your bag if you happen to tilt it the wrong way, you know, which sometimes happens. But um, that's basically it. I think the water trap is one of the DIY things that pipers have always done. That's that's, and this is just a, an addition to that sort of list. You know, there's a there's a. I don't know if anyone's ever seen the the Piper's Handbook by Captain John McClellan. Um, it's full of all kinds of stuff like that that pipers have done over the years. Um, and one of them is, is this old water trap idea, which is, uses a cork and, like, copper tubing, like, just stuck in through the cork. So the cork goes into the bottom of the stock. It's got a piece of tubing stuck through the cork, so your airflow can go through the tubing into your bag. But the cork collects all the spit and moisture from your blow stick, and then you just need to dump it, which depending on how high this pipe extends into your stock. You might have to do that quite a bit. But that's an old solution I, I think a lot of older pipers, you know, have done over the years. I think certainly in Scotland, you know, uh, this is before we had silicone tubing easily available to all of us, right? Just walk in your hardware store and buy that stuff. But, um, you know, once upon a time, you didn't have this stuff. You had the copper, <laughs> brass. That was it, you know. That was all you had to work with. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, I don't know if 
anyone out there using a water trap, you know, you can certainly buy commercial versions that are essentially exactly the same, you know, um, and they're, they're no more complicated than that. Just a, some sort of insert in the stock and tubing, you know. You can even, you can go as far as to just stick the tubing right in your stock. I've seen people do that too. Um, you know, if it stays, it's there and you don't have any problems. So, there you go. Does anyone make their own water traps at all? Anyone? Are you sort of using commercial versions like the, the Kevin saying the moose valve with the Bannatine bottle? Yeah, I think Shepard made one for the bottle for a while. Um, it's a little sponge in the back, right? It's got a little bottle of sponge, which you have to sort of wring out occasionally and deal with all the grossness that collects in there as well. <laughs> it's not flexible. Yeah, but I see, I saw one solution. I can't remember where I saw it. They may have been, I forget. Anyway, it used a ridged uh, flexible tubing. It was sort of thick-walled, sort of like a, a sort of corrugated alligator tubing, I guess they call it. I don't know. Um, you know, it's stuff you would like, like, uh, like a, you would have in a pool, but the smaller version, you know, like the ridged stuff, the rib stuff. Um, and if you use enough of that, it kind of, kind of bends the way you want it to bend. Um, so it's, it's flexible. It doesn't constrict anything. And the ridges collect water better, maybe, you know, something like that, I think is the idea. But, um, but the, the benefit of this version that I've used here uses this, the thick um, silicone tubing. Um, and it doesn't have to be black. Black is just cooler. <laughs> it could be clear. Um, is that the, it's got a natural curve on it, you know? So the memory of the of the of the tubing just sort of curves to the back of the bag naturally, uh, without any issue. And the elbow helps it direct it that way. So, you know, if you had just jammed that in the bottom of your stock, it would curve and hit the bottom of your bag, and then you wouldn't really sort of get in the way, and you'd feel it all the time, and it probably wouldn't be better. But um, but uh, yeah, the, the natural curve of the tubing just sort of puts it to the back of the bag without any problem. Um, so and in a thick wall, the thick tubing doesn't give or bend really that easily. So that's the other thing. So you use the thinner tubing you use has a tendency to bend and kink, and you know there's always that potential for failure. <laughs> so. Um, Metal, is it medical grade? Is medical grade for delivery? I don't think it has to be anything. I think it just has to be functional. Um, I'm in trouble seeing this. Hold on a second. Oh God, they have a moisture control system now. Moisture control? <laughs> uh, moisture control system. It's for bottles. What is, and is that like anything else? Like the bottles just have a little sponge thing in them and they just collect and absorb water? Is that it? And I've definitely seen them and, I, and I've seen versions of them. And uh, it's just, uh, you know, I think that's just one more maintenance thing that you have to take care of, which, I don't know. If anything, the whole idea behind pipe hacking is that it's got to be quick, it's got to be easy. And it's can't, and it's got to be, it's going to minimize failure. There's your three, there's your three tips to pipe hacking. Pipe hacking. Um, you know, if it, the more the more time you're spending building this stuff or making these solutions, the more chances there are for failure when you use them. Um, and you know, if it's not easy, then then what then what are you busting your hump for? You just might as well go buy something. You know, so it's got to be easy. 
first of all, and it's got to be a simple sort of access. You know, it's got to be accessible materials, right? All the stuff we can get at Home Depot or hardware stores or anywhere you want to go. Um, and and believe me, that's this is where any commercial solution is getting their stuff too. They're getting them from the same places that any of these stores get them, um, and it's the same materials. So um, there's there's gone are the days where you know makers had had access to stuff that you know the normal mortals couldn't get. You know, um, I think we can get anything we need these days. So what's coming up? Uh, what's coming up in the future for Piepacker now that then uh, now that you're done with your I'm big back. course? Yeah, I haven't, I haven't updated the uh, updated the uh, site in a while. Um, I've put up a lot of small tunes podcasts lately, which I think um, from my is a lot more fun. Uh, I've got projects on the list that I just have to sort of get to and and, and do. Um, the one the one drone re rebuild is is on my definitely on my list. I'm also thinking of ways of how to reuse old pipe bags. That's my, my latest thing. Um, one of the tricks to that uh, is trying to get the leather back to a shape where you can actually use it for something. <laughs> it tends to once it's once it's used as a, as a, a pipe bag for a while, it, it's like a, I don't know. It, it you should make some like wallets or something we could resell. Yeah, well, that's, that's exactly. It's something like you know, like some sort of pouch, you know, phone holder, Sporans. you know, stuff like that. Sporans, yeah, there you go. Um, but, you know, the leather, unfortunately, is really hard to get back into um, some sort of pliable, workable fashion. Um, you know, it, it basically serves as maybe armor would be the new, so you'd be making breastplates, <laughs> old pipe bags, you know, um, or sort of gauntlets of some kind, you know. But it's a, it's a, it's, it's a challenge. I haven't found the right materials yet. I think that it's, it's definitely possible to do this, so I just have to figure it out. Um, so you know, I'm running out of things that, uh, aside from actually making parts you know there's not too much left on the, on the, on the instrument to sort of hack although um, you know what do you got you got moisture control read manipulation um, what else bag maintenance you know um, sort of making your own materials for that is definitely a, a something worth trying I think yeah how about making your own bag covers? Making your own bag covers, yeah. That, there's a good, that's a nice project. And you can make them out of all kinds of funky stuff. If sewing is your thing, you know, you get, I think you need some skill there. Um, I guess it has to be easy, so I, you have to be more. They're not easy. Sewing, no, but, sewing a tube, <laughs> um, speaking from experience, is really not fun nor easy uh, to right. do well, so. Yeah, that's see, that hard. Breaks, that breaks one pipe packer rule. It has to be easy. So now, now you're you've already moved closer to a rationale uh, to buy your own thing. Easy. You know, it's easy right. for experienced, talented sewers like myself. <laughs> yeah. Which, which um which end of the needle goes up, Andrew? Um, I'll have to get back. My assistant will get back to you on that. Uh, <laughs> making your own bag would be a great project, I think. That's I, the ultimate pipe pack would be to make a workable sort of pipe bag that you know anybody could make. You know, um, you know, once upon a time that's what people did, right? They weren't pipe bag makers. People had to make their own bags so they had to get their leather. Ben, and, I've got it for you. You know, the perfect synthetic bag. You heard it here first. <laughs> get the, the the vacuum sealing plastic. 
in a large size, and you could seal your way around a pipe bag. There you go. You just seal that moisture in. There you go. Well, you know. That would good. That would work. It'd be no different than any other synthetic yeah. bag. You talked about uh, old channer lamps. That's definitely something I, I haven't done. I'd love to do that. Old drone drone piece lamps. You can sometimes find cheap parts on eBay, right? Some old Pakistani pipes, you know, for like, you know, whatever. Or parts sometimes are good for that. Um, yeah. Gary mentions small tunes. My favorite drum. He mentioned that was a, a recent podcast. Um, yeah, small tunes, that's, that's more like a pipe hacking on the music, right? It's music hacking, I guess. It's more or less, a, you know, a delving into the old source material for bagpipe music. And, and and pulling out these old melodies that have disappeared over the, over the years, you know, um, they don't make them in, they don't make them their way into the old piping collections uh, for some reason. Or if they do, they, they they appear once and then they disappear forever, and no one ever sees them again. Um, and there are thousands. Sometimes of them. it's because yeah. they're crap tunes, but you seem to sometimes. pick pretty good ones. Yeah, well, it, 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 sometimes they are, and but a lot of times they're not. And at one point, people didn't really think of it that way, I think. They didn't really think of it. It's like, oh, well, that's a junk tune. Well, that, oh, oh, where'd you get that? That's horrible. You know, when they actually make it into somebody's collection, um, Somebody you know, they've been, they've been vetted. You know, they've been through, like, a lot of the older collections tend to, uh, tended to gather songs and music that was being heard at the time. So people were enjoying it then. Um, even by today's tastes, they might not... Um, sort of be something worth listening to anymore. But back then, they certainly were. And they make it into these manuscripts and these old books. Um, and, you know, all they need is a little sort of a modern touch, you know, a little modern twist, which is what's been ha- what had been happening up until about, I would say, maybe the early 20th century. I mean, you had a pretty much a pretty good explosion of publishing going on from like 1890 all the way to about 1920. And I think the, the war kind of put a stop to a lot of that. And then after that, more important matters uh, took over in in the UK, I think. So you have a slowdown of publishing, and it's not until like this 50s, you know, until you see like the Scots Cars and Donna McLeod and things like that appearing again. Um, so a lot of this music got forgotten. You know, it doesn't even make it into those collections. And since you know you have the days of David Glenn, who had this enormous repository of old pipe music in his in 15 books, you know. I think maybe not even a third of it has been has made it into other collections since. There's a lot of stuff in there that is like just hasn't has never been heard again. You know, it just sort of sits there um, waiting to be discovered. You know, so um, so that's what small tunes is. You know, small tunes is just a, a way of pulling out these melodies and putting a modern touch on them and sort of and I and I, I pick I try to pick out the tunes that have some sort of cultural or historical uh, significance with a story or something like that around it. Uh, there's a lot of tunes that just have, they're just tunes, right? And they have no particular uh, connection to anything. But a lot of times these titles, some titles will have like cool double entendre <laughs> meanings and um, risque suggestive subtitles that, you know, back in the day it was probably cute to sort of say, oh, play that tune, hee <laughs> hee, you know. Um, but today it's kind of stupid, you know, it's just we don't even think of it that way anymore. It's just sort of Silly, but um, but uh, yeah. So they they say these cultural connections to the to the time that they were played, which I which I think is really cool. You know, I like that a lot. Um, 
you know, and it's, it's fun to sort of delve into these books. The favorite drama is a good one. That's, that's, that's a really good one. That comes from, a, from an old poem um, from a guy who was uh, Alistair MacDonald. He was a, a poet who wrote a lot of poems for the, during the Jacobite period. And uh, one of his poems actually appeared in a book of his, of his, uh, his book, a book of poems of his. It was called The Ark. And it, was, it roused such anger <laughs> um, among the British sort of uh, ruling class that they burned all copies of the book in Edinburgh. It, at, you know, by the common, the common hangmen burned them, like where they were still hanging people, executing people. They took all those books and they burned them in the square. <laughs> so um, the favorite drama is, is by that guy. Yeah. Awesome. Um, great. Well, Vin, what do you say we wrap this up? I don't know if anyone has any final questions for Vin, but thanks for uh, sharing all that stuff with us today, Vin. And um, it's good to give a plug to your site every now and then where possible. Yeah, definitely go there. There's, there's tons of stuff. I, every time I go there, I, I'm like, I scratch my head and I, I'm like, is there really that much stuff there? <laughs> it, just, it just accumulates over time, you know? It really you know? does. Dojo used the same way. I think we have over a thousand classes now. Really? Wow. Yeah. That's, that's pretty impressive. In the archive. It's crazy. It's like, a, it's like a bottomless pit of stuff, man. You just like sort of go in there and never leave. It's like a, you know, and, and you know, Pipepacker's like that too. It is, you know, and, I, and I'll close this by saying that I would encourage anybody out there listening now or not listening, listening later to, um, to do the same thing, you know, to, to you know, you have you know, the, the whole idea of blogging, as it were, quote unquote, has been around for a long time now. And uh, and it's always shocked me that no one else does it. I can count on one hand the number of bagpiping blogs that are out there right now and that actually post with any regularity. And it's really I don't even I don't know why that is, but it seems like it should be more given the number of people who do it. You know, I, th I think we all need to be sort of talking about it, sharing things discussing, throwing ideas out there, ticking each other off, you know, whatever, you know, it doesn't. Um, and I think, you know, I would encourage anybody who sort of feels a need or the inclinations to sort of blather on about bagpipes, you know, uh, to do it, you know, publicly on a, on a blog or something like that. Um, I think it's the only way we sort of understand each other, you know, I don't know. Mary's going over there now. Good for you. <laughs> Fun. All right. I don't know. I, I, you know, Gary says it's, it would do the fact that bad person to be clannish. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But if all you have to do is look at other idioms, whether it's any kind of musical idiom, right? Classical music, folk music, um, Celtic music. Um, there's there's dozens of blogs, musicians' blogs, people posting, talking about it, writing about it, sharing stuff. Um, whether it's photos or music or performances, and it's there, there's dozens of them in any genre. Bagpiping has four worldwide. Not even like you know enough to like make a, make a dent in the worldwide community. You know, it's kind of it's kind of nutty. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I think I think part of the problem with bagpiping is. You know, uh, too many people out there that get offended if other people have ideas that are different than their own. Like it's a very yeah tends to be very stodgy. Yeah, I, th I think it, it, it tends to also stem from the fact that there's not too many uh, outlets for it. You know, 
there's not too many venues. Like, you know, you go to some sort of larger sort of musical, you know, genre, like folk music, perhaps. And there's lots of different opportunities for players to perform and to learn. And um, there's different organizations at work, you know, uh, doing all kinds of different stuff. Um, there's lots of different instruments, you know. Um, and bagpiping tends to be very sort of narrow that way, right? We have one way to sort of really pr play together, and that's pipe bands and competition, you know. Um, it's also a little bit of a because because our culture is so uh, competition related. There's mm -hmm. also the risk factor that prohibits thought leaders in our particular genre of music. It prohibits thought leaders from participating because. You know, uh, as you know, any opinion that you present, 50% of people are going to hate it. So 50% right. of the people that are responsible for uh, giving you the results that you're mm -hmm. striving to get, are, you know, can easily yeah. punish you in various ways for presenting an opinion that they don't like. Exactly. And, and that's in, in all ways. Like, you know, you would think like something like on the Internet would be an easy, an easy thing to like sort of just sort of present ideas or suggestions that, you know, people are not going to like. But at the same time, you would think that that would matter, and it, like it, 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 they, it's met with the same kind of resistance and hostility that you would do it, it, it in a public setting, even if you were like a member of an organization and standing up and presenting your ideas. It's like the same kind of thing. It's like every aspect, no matter what expression you're talking about, is always met with the same kind of scrutiny, and uh, that's it's that's I think it holds everything back. It really there's does. There's a lot of vitriol involved, and then there's there's the club. There's the mm -hmm. club of uh, the piping club that yeah. uh, unless you've, you know, really, really paid your dues, um, people don't like it when other folks try and start their own clubs and what have you. And it's all very strange. Yeah. Or, you Different know, they like if you play bass guitar, you know, Victor Wooten's out all the time talking about his methods and yeah. you know, people are excited about it. Victor Wooten's not worried about, you know, someone else either figuring out his methods or you know, criticizing his methods because he kind of just... Or, or caring about if someone else has got a different idea and doing that, you know? Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, like there's room for it all. And there's room there for room. trying things yeah. and even there's if they don't work, <laughs> you know? So, oh, really? um, you know, I, I think, I, you know, that, that's, I think... And, and I think having, like, you know, public places, like, you know, like a blog on the Internet or a website or something like that as a way of sort of putting that stuff out there because the easier it becomes to do that, the easier it becomes to start listening and maybe doing something that's worth, you know, doing, you know, changing things that are worth changing um, and, and essentially, you know, expanding your horizons that way, you know. Yeah, Gary, I think, sums it up really well. In piping, it's getting better, I guess, but in piping there's definitely more closed minds than open ones. Yeah. Which is a real, real shame. That's one of the things that the dojo exists to uh, – to combat um, is, you know, yeah. there's a way of, there's a way of approaching this and looking at this that's open-minded. Well, and the ironic thing, Gary, is all, almost all of the top players that I've met and had the privilege to spend time with, they're almost all very open-minded. Um, mm -hmm. But for some reason, that particular element of the message doesn't get passed along. I think there's a lot of people that are teaching bagpipes in the world that aren't as open-minded as they could be. Um, I think, yeah. yeah. And then there's the there's the pipe band politics thing. So a lot of us learn how to play through pipe bands, and that's that can be very close minded. And there's um, 
there can be a lot of territorial weird stuff going on there. I know we struggle with that here in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, and I think you know great a lot of these players that will, will teach one way. You know, they'll teach one way or instruct players or, or in, in workshops and things one way. But you talk to them privately, and you know their ideas take a different approach entirely. You know, um, which one in one respect makes them awesome musicians, which is why they're so good because they do have their own take on things, um, and they're able to express that you know, when they play, when they perform. But on the other hand, they take this conventional approach to making sure that the ideas that are out there that are, that are accepted and acceptable, you know, are the ones that they're pushing, you know? Um, and I think part of that is because there is only that still that one aspect of, of performance, right? There's competition and there's only a certain number of them, you know, that are worth yeah. watching. And so as a result, there's no opportunity to sort of express, there's no platform for these ideas. In other words, you know, so you want to come up with different ideas that sort of reflect an open mind toward the music and toward uh, events and things like that. There's there's no opportunity for it, you know, and so there's never a chance to really make it work, which is, you know, sad in a way. I, you know, I've got plenty of articles on PipeHacker.com about that kind of stuff, too. You know, for me, it's not just about hacking the instruments, it's about hacking the systems in place, you know, that govern what we do, you know. Um, so... That's what it's all about, keeping an open mind, Gary said. All right. On that note of open-mindedness, let's wrap this puppy up. I'm starving. Cool. I'm, I'm wasting away here. So, um, yeah, thanks for coming, guys. Um, we'll get this posted up in the podcast area, which is podcast.dojouniversity.com, and we will check you guys next week for our 99th episode. Yeah, I'm going to start thinking over lunch about what you're going to do for 100. No kidding. <laughs> cool. Thanks right. for tuning in, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. See you later.